The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. I want to thank Andrew Elston and Jonathan Nida for preaching the prior two weeks as we were in Africa. They did a great job finishing out the first section of Romans where Paul has been explaining justification, big fancy theological term, justification. What does that mean? What did we learn? Well, as a child, I was taught it simply means that God sees me just as if I'd never sinned, right? We're all ungodly sinners. Justification is just as if I'd never sinned. That's the position that Christ gives me, just as if I'd never sinned. Now, how in the world can God do that? How is God just and going to justify ungodly sinners? I mean, how can a God just kind of turn a blind eye to my wickedness and my sin and let me off the hook? It questions the justice of God because we know it's right for sin and crime to be punished. And so how did he do that? Well, he's been explaining, Romans has been, Paul has been explaining to us Uh, The summary is in 425. Paul says, Jesus was delivered over because of our sins and was raised because of our justification. God didn't just turn a blind eye to it. God punished your sin if you're a believer, my sin as a believer. He punished Jesus for me. I mean, that's ridiculous, but that's what he did. That's grace and mercy. It's a gift. And so God punished Jesus so that I could be let off the hook. And so we see the blood of Jesus Christ was the payment necessary, our ransom payment to redeem us from our slavery to sin. We've seen those concepts. He was the propitiatory sacrifice, meaning his blood was sprinkled on the the seat of mercy, the mercy seat. It's based solely on the mercy of God. His infinitely holy blood is what paid the price. And then not only does he pay the price and absorb our punishment and absorb the wrath. He then is credited us. He gives us credit for his righteousness. And so we stand declared righteous before a holy God. That's justification. It's just as if we've never sinned because God justifies the ungodly. Notice the subject and the verb. God justifies the ungodly by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our role, we are justified by faith. That's an empty-handed receiving of a gift. A falling to our knees and submitting and receiving this gift of being declared right with God. And so that's what Paul has been saying. Justification. And about two of you salivate when we talk about words like propitiatory atonement. The rest of you, I have to keep you awake. And I get louder and louder. Wake up. Because what you think is, well, what, what, what does it matter? I mean, when I go to work, when I'm raising my kids, when I'm changing diapers, when I'm trying to, to deal with a diagnosis, what, what difference does this make in my life? I think you would all say, well, I'm going to heaven and I praise God for that. But that's the extent of what we get about justification is it's, it's I get out of hell and I'm thankful for that. But now I got to go live my life until I die. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. This is life altering. This has present benefits, present effects on everyday life. That's why he writes chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. He's going to explain the life-altering blessings of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Now that you're all comfortable, please stand in honor of God's holy word. 
It's not going to be long before you see me up here aged about 10 years because I'm going to have readers on my nose soon. So we're going to read the Word of God. For that, I'm going to get a thicker Bible. All right, so let's read God's Word together. Listen as I read. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were sinners or while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And not only this, but we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. God, help us to understand the life-altering blessings of justification, not just the future salvation from hell, but every day. How does this matter? How, what difference does this make in our lives? Lord, I pray that your spirit will take your truths from your word and radically change our hearts and our minds so that we are filled with joy and hope in you. It's in Christ that we ask these things. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. All right, so we're going to look at seven life-altering blessings of justification. And I'm not overstating that. These are seven life-altering blessings of justification. If you come into my office for discipleship, I can tell you that 99% of the time, these are not understood or being allocated or being applied in our lives when we are wrestling with the difficult things that we wrestle with in life. These matter deeply in everyday life. The first one is this, having been justified by faith. If you are a believer, if you're resting open-handed, trusting, receiving this gift of justification that God has performed through Christ, listen carefully. God's not mad at you anymore. God is not mad at you anymore. Now, a lot of things are going on in heads right now. First of all, some people are going, I didn't know God was ever mad at me. That bothers me that you're saying that God was mad at me. We're going to deal with that. Number two, others are going, yeah, I think he's still mad at me. I think I knew he got mad, and I'm pretty sure he's still mad at me. So let's work through that. First of all, God's not mad at me anymore. What am I saying? Well, look at verse 1. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. He doesn't say we have the peace of God. He teaches that other places. We do have the peace. That's a subjective feeling of peace. 
That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, if you have been justified by God, he's saying you have peace with God. In other words, the, in other words, the war is over. You're no longer the enemy of God. He's no longer mad at you. Now, God's mad at you. It's not like ours. That's why we don't, we don't like it, because our anger is, is unrighteous flares of selfish anger laced with all kinds of sin and nastiness. That's not what God's anger is. God's anger is right and just settled hot displeasure for sin and sinners and rebellion against him because it is awful. It's awful for you. It's awful for humanity. It's awful for this earth. It's wicked. It's wrong. It's bad. What kind of sick God would not be mad about that? It's terrible. It's destructive. And God says... I hate it. And so before you understand that God's not mad at you anymore, you need to understand that if you're not in Christ or before you were in Christ, before you were justified, God was angry at your sin and he's angry at you for what you're doing in your sin. And he's right to do that. Now, I have been praying for several months now. God, help me believe that. I grew up in a great home, saved in an early age, taught the love of God. And I have a hard time believing that God gets mad at sinners because I just have a distorted view of that. But I see it clearly taught in Scripture. That's what he's been saying for four chapters. We're all under sin. We're all condemned. We're all under the wrath of God. We all deserve punishment because we are rebelling and spitting in his face and telling him, get out of my life and telling you, go take a hike. I don't care what you say. I'm going to be God. And he's giving us all the blessings we need in life. God is angry at sin and sinners. It's a righteous anger. Now, how do we deal with that? God is also justifying unrighteous, unholy sinners. The anger and the, 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 the condemnation is seen on the cross. You see the horrific events of what happened to Jesus. That's the wrath of God being poured out. It is the grace of God that every day we are not wiped out for our sin. That there is a delay, there is a restraint, there is a waiting and a warning and a calling, turn and be justified, escape that wrath. For those who have been justified by God through Jesus Christ, he says, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at you. How can he not be mad? Because he poured it all out on Jesus. Jesus absorbed the wrath of and condemnation, so that Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation, zero, nil, zip, nada, none, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you for the amens on that. Do you believe that, though? What I usually see and what I usually struggle with is, yeah, but... I've had an abortion. I had an affair. I lived a wicked lifestyle. I hurt so many people. I've done so much wrong. I just I just live with this. I see people that live with a cloud of guilt 
and condemnation so that they don't want to, they don't feel worthy to seek God, to worship God, to pray to God, to witness about God. They don't believe that God's not mad at them anymore. So if that's you, I want you to do something. And I mean it. I want you to do this. I want you to go home and get alone with the Lord. And I want you to get however many little pieces of paper it takes. However many things that that are in that back of your mind that you think God's mad at you at, about you at. And if you just write that down, write the next one, whatever it takes, each one, write it down and dwell on that sucker. Think deeply on it. And it's going to be wretched. But I want you to own it. And then I want you to say and draw a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ over the top of it. And then I want you to take a lighter by a fireplace or something safe. And I want you to light it and I want you to set it in the fireplace. And I don't want you to walk away. I want you to stand there and I want you to watch every ounce of that paper curl up and turn into ashes and disintegrate. And I want you to know it's gone. The wrath of God has been satisfied. You see, that's what the whole burnt offering in the old sacrificial system was a picture of. It was the complete burning of the whole creature. It's done. Burn that sucker to the ground and be done with it and move on. And remember, God's not mad at you anymore because he's punished his own son in your place. Amen. So having been justified, God is not mad at you. Having been justified, number two, God grants you unrestricted access. Having been justified, God grants you unrestricted access. You see, the problem is many of us tend to think that God's keeping score. And there's a level of access that we get with God based on our performance. And the better we are, the more we can deserve to expect God to hear our prayers and to let us come into his presence and and to ask him for things. Here we see those who have been justified, look at verse 2, have obtained our introduction, that's also our access by faith, into this grace in which we stand. If you have been justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ, then you do not stand in the realm of works or merit. Your access to God is not based on your deeds. You stand currently in the realm of grace. We sang a song about if it's about grace, we're swimming in it. Grace is the water that we swim in. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. You're right. You don't deserve to even look at God on your own. But because God has justified you in Jesus Christ, you have full access to God. He brings you into the throne room and he says, stand here in my presence and enjoy me and look at me and dwell with me and embrace me and ask me for all of your needs because I died to give you access. 
So don't stand outside longing to be in when he died to bring you in. He died. If you trust in Christ for your justification, then you have been granted unrestricted access to the king of kings, to the God who created the universe. Now, do you really believe that? Your expectation of his help does not depend upon your performance. That means no more praying, God, I did this, so will you do this? It's not how it works. No more praying, God, I've messed up. I know I cannot ask you again. I've messed up so many times. He says, "Uh uh-uh, unmerited favor. Ask me. And if it's good for you, I'm going to give it to you. So God says, having been justified by Jesus Christ, you stand in the realm, you swim in the sea of unmerited favor. All of the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places are yours in Christ. Amen? Amen. Number three. Having been justified by faith, God guarantees full restoration. God guarantees full restoration. Look at verse, the second part of verse 2. He says, having been justified in, by faith in Christ, we exult, we boast, we rejoice. We exult in hope of the glory of God. Hope is not I wish. Biblical hope is I am certain. This is not I I hope that I have pecan pie tonight. It's I am certain. I have hope because I have been given the pie. I am already guaranteed. I can rejoice. I can have joy. I can boast in the certainty of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is all things good and beautiful and righteous and holy about God and his creation and everything that emanates from his glory. It is what you see that humanity had with God before the fall, before sin entered the world. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and are therefore lacking the glory of God. But before the sin, we all obtained, had enjoyed the glory of God in creation. We see that. That means the earth was beautiful and perfect and glorious. I don't know where it is, but go in your mind to that place that is the most fantastic, most beautiful place on earth that you've ever seen or experienced it. Now picture that. Put yourself there. Imagine it's infinitely better and it's the entire earth. That's what we had before the fall and that's what he promises and guarantees and the whole story of the Bible is he's going to restore it all. Picture this, the best time that you've ever felt in your body. It's probably 30 years ago. Maybe it was... 17 years old. No pains. You felt strong, capable before the effects of sin racked your body. 
Picture that. Infinitely better. Forever. Complete restoration of the glory of God displayed in his image bearers. Think about the happiest day of your life, the most beautiful, perfect worship service where you stood and you knew God was real and you knew he was with you and you knew he loved you and you're with fellow believers and you're just so at peace with God, the greatest worship service you've ever experienced. Infinitely better forever. He says, this is what I'm doing for you. You're not doing it for yourself. God's doing it for you. He says, I guarantee you that you can have rejoicing. You can have joy in the steadfast assurance that I am restoring the full glory of God on this earth and in your body and in your relationships and in your emotions and in every aspect of your being. It will be done. As believers, we should be marked by a joyful confidence in the restoration of the glory of God. But do you believe it? It's hard to believe when your emotions are racked with depression. The society is riddled with destruction and corruption. The earth is laid waste. When we struggle, we are tempted to despair. We grieve the cancer diagnosis. We grieve the loss of a loved one. But we can grieve, and we should grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve differently because we have a deep undergirding joy that is a steadfast assurance that God is bringing restoration and is guaranteed mine because I've been justified by Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith, God guarantees you full restoration. So we know having been justified by faith, God is not mad at you anymore. Number two, having been justified by faith, God grants you unrestricted access. Number three, having been justified by faith, God guarantees you full restoration. You see how this is going to make a difference in your life? Number four, having been justified by faith, suffering will make you, not break you. Stole these words from Tim Keller. Suffering will make you, not break you. Look at verse 3. Again, the word exult, which means boast, which means rejoice. He says, having been justified by faith, we actually also can rejoice, exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. So here we see believers can boast in our tribulations. It doesn't mean we're glad that we have tribulations, but we're glad in the middle of our tribulations. We can boast and be glad and have hope in the midst of our tribulations, knowing that God has purpose in the pain. 
God has a plan for your good in the midst of and through and because of, not despite, but because of the pain. You see, if you have been justified by grace, if you know that your complete existence is based on, is swimming in the grace of God, then suffering produces a greater experience of the grace of God and the emptying of the pride and self-reliance. And so it enhances the experience of grace and that grace is the hope that anchors our soul. And so suffering becomes a removal of things that remove our hope. It removes false gods. It removes self-reliance. And it increases intimacy with the creator of the universe. And so we boast, we rejoice, we exult in our tribulations because we know with each tribulation comes perseverance. And each persevering strength, it's like running a marathon and training. It's not fun, I hear. And each pain and each moment of it only is painful at the time, but it creates perseverance and ability to run longer and better and further. That's the way suffering is in life when we turn it in faith to God, when we view it through the lens of, I have been justified and he is guaranteeing my restoration. It proves character. It reveals our desperate need for the grace of God, drawing us to himself. And that is the source of our hope, our confident assurance in the glory and grace of God. In the believer who takes joy in justification by grace, suffering actually increases their joy in grace. It enhances the joy that we have in grace. Having been justified by faith, suffering will make you, not break you. As believers, this means that we must learn to view all trials and tribulations as a part of God's great plan to refine us and to mold us into his image. We must learn to make our first question, God, How do you want to use this trial to make me more like you? God, how can I lean on you more? What do you want to accomplish in me through this? And our first question no longer will be, why me, God? Why me, God, leads to grumbling. How do you want to use this, God, leads to refinement and glorification and boasting in what God does in our lives through the trials. When these questions replace the why me questions and the grumbling, we will begin to be able to rejoice in the midst of our tribulations, knowing that it all serves to strengthen our hope in the glory of God. Having been justified by faith, suffering will make you, not break you. Number five, having been justified by faith, you can be assured of God's love. Having been justified by faith, you can know, you can be assured of, take it to the bank, God absolutely loves you like you never have been loved before in your life. Look at verses 5 and 6. Second part of verse 5. There's two reasons that we can be sure of God's love. One is a subjective experience and the other is an objective understanding of it. Verse 5, part B, he says, because... 
the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has who was given to us. The pouring out of the love is the same pouring out of the Spirit. The Spirit of God applies to your emotions, to your heart, the subjective experience of the love of God. And then he says objectively, for while we were still helpless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But listen to this. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were spitting in his face, telling him we hate him, rebelling from his lordship, telling him, I want to be God, get out of my face. He died for you while You were still a sinner, an enemy of God. Christ died for us. So the subjective assurance that we should have of God's love, there is just something I can't explain. But if you felt it, you know what I'm talking about. It's the warm embrace of the love of an infinite God who has shown himself to you and you know he loves you. Now, you don't always feel it. It's not perfect because we can quench the spirit and we walk in the flesh many times. But when we're walking with the Lord and there's that beautiful gift of just knowing the love of God, the spirit applies his love to you. And that's what you feel probably most closely when you're surrounded by believers worshiping your creator. And it just is love. God loves you. He says, that's what you get when you've been justified by faith. But when you don't feel that, he says, and you doubt it, maybe you have had a wicked dad or a wicked mother who has not shown you the love that any good, respectable parent should show you. And you think, I'm not lovely. That's a lie from Satan. Look at the cross. When you were hating God, he gave his life for you. That's how much he loves you. And don't you ever doubt it again. God loves you infinitely and unconditionally, no matter what people do or say to you. God loves you. If you ever don't feel it, you doubt it. You look to the cross and you see the depths of of the love of God for you. Having been justified by faith, you can know for certain that God loves you unconditionally. Number six, having been justified by faith, you do not have to fear the wrath of God. Having been justified by faith, you do not have to fear the wrath of God. In verse 9, he says, much more then. He's just stumbling over. There's more, much more. Having now, having now been justified by his blood, we know we shall be saved from the wrath of God. The current 
blessing of justification and the confirmation of the Spirit of God saying, I love you, says you don't have to fear the future. You will not be covered. You will not be destroyed by the wrath of God. You can trust God will spare you. He will save you from the day of wrath. How do you know that? Well, for if, if while, think about the logic here. If while we were the enemies of God, he reconciled us. Now, what is reconciled? Reconciled, and you can see a picture of a marriage. There's a one flesh relationship and there's fighting and biting and devouring. And so they're separated and they are trying to work things out. And then when that beautiful reconciliation happens, they are brought back to oneness. What he is saying is sin has separated us from God. But when God justifies you by punishing Jesus and crediting you with his righteousness, he reconciles you. In Romans 6, 5, he says, we have been united with him. We are hidden in Christ. We are one with Christ. We are in He's going to say nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so I picture this picture of being hidden in Christ physically. I picture Jesus Christ outside and covering me. And when God looks at me, he sees the perfections of Christ. And I know what God thinks about Christ. And so I believe that God thinks that about me. He loves Christ unconditionally. No one doubts that. Well, you're in Christ. He loves you unconditionally if you are in Christ by faith in the justifying work of God. And he no longer, he would never condemn Christ. Well, if you're in Christ, you know he will not condemn you. If you're in Christ, then you know when Christ comes and judges and pours out his wrath on his enemies, you won't be in the wrath of God. You don't have to fear that day. That means that you can say, yes, Lord Jesus, come. I never understood that till I was about 40. I used to hear my mom or people say, yes, come, Jesus. I'm like, wait a minute, I got a whole life to live. Now I'm like, come, Lord, come. Come, Jesus. And so this means you don't have to fear death. Oh, what a difference that makes. This week, yesterday afternoon, I held hands with one of our members and their families. And we prayed, knowing that death is coming very near. What a difference it makes to pray these promises. God, we know this is only a transition to a glorious restoration. We don't have to fear death. Because I was able to ask him, are you afraid of death? He said, no. I said, why? Because I've asked God to forgive me for Jesus. I said, praise the Lord. That makes all the difference. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear the return because we don't fear the wrath of God. When you say, I've been saved, what are you saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God. God saves you from his own wrath by the justifying work of Jesus Christ. Finally, having been justified by faith, you can be truly happy. 
having been justified by faith, you can be truly happy. Look at verse 11. Paul says, And not only this, but we also exult, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive the reconciliation. This is the culminating culmination of everything Paul has been saying. He says, when you've been justified by Jesus, you've been filled with the spirit of God. God himself takes residence within you, which he then applies his love to your heart, to your mind, to your emotions, saying, yes, I love you. Yes, you're mine. Yes, you're right with God. Yes, you come to me with all of your needs. You are my child. You are my heir. All of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are yours. I love you. I want what's best for you. I know this hurts, but I'm going to use it for incredible things in your life. I'm preparing you for an eternity with me in a glorious place forever and ever. I'm working all things out for your good and for your glory. And you're able to say, I am happy. I have a joy that undergirds the craziness of this life. I am where God designed me to be. And it changes everything. It doesn't fix everything that you're going through, but it changes everything. That's truly what it means to be happy. So does justification make a difference in our lives? Who would have thought one of the most practical messages that we've ever heard from me is a deeply theological text? It matters. Here's the deal. All these life-altering blessings are only for those who have received with empty-handed faith the justifying work of God through Jesus Christ. Have you received it? Do you know these blessings in your life? Listen to me. Don't leave here without doing business with God. We're going to sing a song and I'm pleading with you. Come talk to me up here. Come, if you're a believer, come kneel at the altar and pray figuratively burn that piece of paper in your mind, do whatever it takes, do business with God as we sing this song. Even if it's for the first time, right now, today, you can simply call upon the mercy seat of God and say, God, justify me through the blood of Jesus Christ and pour into my life the Spirit of God and begin to transact these life-altering blessings in me by faith. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray for your help during this song, help for every person in this room to focus not on what's next, but to focus on right now doing business with you. There is no more important decision than this. I pray that all over the room you are bringing hope And joy to hearts who thought you were mad at them or who were under your wrath. But by embracing the gift of justification in Jesus, they can in an instant 
be transferred from the realm of the enemy and the wrath of God to the realm of unmerited favor right now. I pray during this song that that people all over the room will come up to this altar. Yes, walk down here and do business with you because they are believers who have been riddled with condemnation or with believers who have been doubting your word or unbelievers who have now become children of God trusting in Jesus Christ. Lord, do a work in our heart during this song, not just for our blessings, though it certainly is, but that our blessings being in Christ means that you get all the glory and you deserve glory in this place. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.